I went to went to Harding University, which is a private school, Christian school uh, that has people from all 52 states. That it's not a great school, but it's it's a school. I'm just kidding. I said 52 states. Y'all not following? All right. We've lo- we've we've got some uh, some friends sick this morning. My Clara sick, so uh, Rachel stayed home to take care of Rachel and Nolan stayed home to take care of Clara and Grace is in the hospital and Luke, our little Luke uh, Evans is is sick at home. So uh, just just be careful out there. It's everyone's already all worried about Ebola, which I called Ebola the other day. That's not what it's called. Uh, everyone's worried about Ebola, but just the common cold's going to whoop us in the end. Um, so ju- just wash your hands, drink some orange juice, stay hydrated. I don't know. This isn't my expertise. Can someone else talk? Uh, but try to stay healthy. It's, it's going around, apparently. Uh, but anyway, I went to Harding, and Harding's a fantastic school. And one of the fantastic things about Harding is that there are people from every single state, and there's like a hundred and something countries represented. It's ridiculous. There's people from every part of the world come and they go to Harding. And you can tell this because every year all the freshmen come in and have the same silly conversations every single year. What do y'all, what do y'all call Cokes in Maine? We call it pot. That's weird. We call it coke. It's funny. You say howdy, we say hi. You say y'all. I can't even say y'all. It's just on and on every single year. The freshmen are just shocked. What in the world? People are different. See, I didn't go straight to Harding. I went to Arkansas Tech at first. And in Arkansas Tech, there are only two kinds of people. There are Kansans, and then there's Taiwanese. It's true, right? It's true. John can... There are can't pe- only two people. You can either be from Arkansas and go to Arkansas Tech or be from Taiwan. I'm not sure why. There's some sort of system where there's... I don't know, but it's just the Taiwanese and the Arkansans. The poor guy at graduation naming off all the names. If you've ever been to Arkansas Tech graduation, the guy nails it. The guy who's naming the names nails it, can pronounce all the Taiwanese names and can pronounce, of course, all the Arkansas names. But it's he shall to Wong King Billy Henderson. (laughs) It's just this, it's the funniest thing. But see, we're not, we're all kind of just assume, we just assume, well, we're all different. They're their food, their language, their skin tone, everything was different. And so you just, you weren't that surprised whenever they were different. But you go to Harding and what people see is, is, is you find that everyone's just so shocked about the differences. We just see, y'all are so different from us. Well, not really. But we're a little different. Yes, we say things a certain way. Even, even the southern hillbilly accent from Texas is different from the southern hillbilly accent from Arkansas and the whatever accent from Oklahoma. I just, I said that for you. Uh, So there is a, there's, 
there's all these little subtle differences. And what's funny is not that they exist, but that the people were just so stunned by them. Why? How? What do you mean you call things pop? That's funny. That's not your father. You call that hat a toboggan? That's not a sled. On and on they would evaluate. But the problem is, is that we assume that the world is just like us. That's just our base assumption. Now, if you asked, if, if, you said, if you said, well, is the world just like you? You would say, of course not. But just when we, when we just slow down and don't turn our brains to on, we assume, well, every other language is just that country's variation of English. Every other country is just that version of America. We think that everything around us is just like us, and so we are a bit shocked to find out that things aren't the way, things don't happen the way we think they happen. People don't do things the way we do them. You may, this may be your first venture into a church of Christ, and for some of you it is, and that's we're glad to have you. But you may be looking around thinking, where's the choir? Well, you're sitting in it. That's how we do it. We didn't have room for stands back here, so we just made the choir sit out in the auditorium, and you get to sit amongst them. We all sing together. We don't really have a choir. We don't practice without you, I promise. But we just, we all sing together. That's kind of how we do it. Well, can I take communion? The answer is yes. If you feel like you can take communion, we don't, we don't make that decision for you. Go for it. So we're going to do things a little differently than what you're used to. And if you're from, and since this is the way the churches of Christ operate, if you're from one church of Christ, it may look different here than somewhere else. And that's just fine. That's okay. But imagine having a conversation with someone who had just been uh, evacuated from Egypt. They'd been slaves. Their grandparents had been slaves, and they assumed that their grandchildren would be slaves. But all of a sudden, this guy Moses comes in, and frogs are everywhere. And you have got to, and you're going to have to take, and, and now you've got to gather up everything and walk out. As you're walking out, people are throwing gold at you and stuff and saying, hurry, get out of here. Y'all are a, a mess. But you are freed from slavery from a god. From the God. The only God. And now you have a certain culture and a certain way you do worship. The way they worshipped is a lot different from the way we worship. This is what their church building would look like. Now, this is what their church building would look like. Alright, that's a tabernacle. Uh, the tent of meeting is this, uh, that, that red building. I don't know how well y'all can see that. Can y'all see that well? Okay. That's, that's the tent of meeting right there. That's where the cloud, remember we talked about last week, the cloud uh, hovers over. Um, you see these guys playing chess right here? That's not what they're doing. That's a basin, a, 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 a basin full of water to wash things with. And then there, here is the altar where they would offer sacrifices, and then typically this isn't sh this diagram is missing. There's some there would be some tables over here uh, 
for what I'm about to tell you. And then there's typically an ash pit somewhere around here. Okay. Now, this is the church building. This is what it looked like. This is, you would go in and this is what they were used to. Now, if you go to church, someone, if one of these people come to you and say, what's it look like when you go to church? You would say, well, we show up uh, probably 15 minutes early or 15 minutes late, depending on who you are, that's fine. And then, and then we, we sit down and we, we sing and we take communion and then you have to explain what that was and then you would, you'd have to explain all this stuff and then we listen to someone talking about who knows what for who knows how long and then we pray and we do announcements and we go and we have lunch. Oh, really? They would say, can I join? Because the way they did worship was a lot different. Now we picture a sacrifice like you take it to the you take it to the altar and then the guy takes care of it for you. No, here's what happened: you would show up to the tabernacle to the tent of meeting, which was in the center of of the camp. The camp would kind of form a a U shape around the the the, the tabernacle, and God's presence his presence would be over. The, um, the tent of meeting there. Well, you would bring your, uh, your calf, your cow, or your um, uh, bull, or you would bring a goat. Most people brought goats, but we're going to use bulls now because I'm, that's what I want to use, and I'm the one with the microphone, so I get to pick. So you bring, a, you bring a, your bull in, and you take it to the north side of the altar. And then you look at the priest, and you say, could you offer this for me? He's going to say, No. It's at this point, you kill the bull you brought. This isn't, the, the priest doesn't do really anything for you in the sacrifice. If you take a bull to sacrifice, you cut it up. You slaughter it, skin it, cut it into pieces, wash the internal organs and the legs, apparently, and the, the, the priest, while you're doing this, will take some of the blood, splash it on the altar, and then he would take, he'll take the meat and set it on, on the altar and light it on fire, and it'll burn the whole thing up. Listen, I'm not a hunter. I've, I've never woken up at five well, or four well. And I've never woken up that early smelled the crisp, clean air and thought, you know, something's going to die today. <laughs> now, some of, you underst- some of you do that, and that's fine, but I don't, I don't handle that. I don't handle killing an I've never killed an animal before, which in most states would be a positive thing. But in this one, not so much. But I'm not, I just don't know. I just don't. I don't get the whole idea of like, yeah, Bessie, whack, worship God, splash some blood. Cut, not just you don't just kill it. Gotta cut it up into pieces and skin it and wash it for some reason. Wash the organs. That's not a fun thing, I'd imagine. And then you light all the while. He's take. You're handing him here. I cut this piece off. Here, you take that. You are. You are disgusting. Disgusting after worship. You are gross. You look like a butcher 
on a bad day. It is, it is a rough thing. You, you don't just go in. in. In ancient Israelite worship, you didn't dress your best to go kill the fatted calf. So all of this would happen. You would come to the, you would come to the tent, uh, the entrance to the tent. You would bring the bull to the altar. He would then go wa- use that basin to wash the, the internal organs. And then they would light it all on fire. And all of a sudden, it would be gone. But then here, here's the final passage of how this is supposed to work. You are to wash the internal organs and the legs with water. And the priest is to burn all of it on the altar. The priest is just the fire guy. He's just lighting the fire he's, and, and taking care of the altar and making sure it all burns up. You are the one offering the sacrifice. It is, this is God's words here, it is a burnt offering, a food offering, an aroma pleasing to the Lord. Now, women, you can understand this a little bit better than men can because I think, I don't, I want to quote science here, but I can't cite it, so I'll just say, I've heard, I've heard that women's sense of smell is like six times stronger than men's. It's at least a lot stronger. We know that. Because, guys, we've come in, I've come in from outside, and Rachel will say, you smell like outside. I don't know what you mean. means something, and I know it's not a compliment, but it's something. And so y'all, y'all smell things that we don't smell. Rachel will go into, there's this store called Bath and Body Works. It's got candles and soaps, and, and I can't handle it. I can't, it's, it's something, yes, this smells good, this smells good, this smells good, but just all of it together smells like a headache to me. Smells like a fever. And I just can't, I can't process it well. But Rachel can go in there and just like direct her sense of smell and smell each one. And it's just, oh, this, this one. And she'll hold, she'll smell it. Oh, that's great. Smell this. Smells like pear. I don't know. (laughs) But for her, and for, for some people, a sense of smell is a sense of an aroma reminds you of things. Have you ever been away from home, from home cooking for a while, and walked into your house, and then there was this, and, and your mother had that, that pot on the stove, and you were, that, that's the thing that you remembered smelling. A, the smell is a thing that we can remember. We can remember what people smell like long after we can remember what they look like. It's associated with your memory and with, with your, your, your remembrance of things. And so this, uh, I, I'm actually not, I don't have this on here, but this goes back to, to um, this aroma pleasing to the Lord, the sacrifice soothing God. This goes back to, to Noah. Because remember, Noah got off the ark. All the animals he rescued, he got off the ark and then sacrificed a couple of them, which that was... a a downer day for them. They're like, we're free. <laughs> no, you on the altar. So he sacrificed a couple of these animals that he rescued. And it, it was because of that sacrifice that it was said that the aroma was pleasing to God and he made a covenant with Noah that he would never flood the earth again. 
So there's something happening with this sacrifice where in the presence of God, I am not worthy to live. I am not worthy to be in the presence of God, but this sacrifice, something about this aroma is pleasing to God. And so people would come into the presence of God and the first thing they would do is they would, like, they would offer a sacrifice and the sacrifice, at least, it didn't, it didn't make them equal to God, but it made God not kill them in that time. Their unholiness was, they didn't belong in His presence. Y'all know what this feels like. Have you ever been in your kitchen? And a roach runs out in the middle. Now, don't, don't raise your hand. But a roach runs out on the floor. What do you do? You kill him. Why? Because he deserves to die. No other reason. Like, that roach isn't going to hurt anybody. Can it? I don't know. Okay, I went to Harding. Sorry. We don't have roaches at Harding. That's what I'm saying, Carol Ann. Um, so, yes, but you kill them. That's not where they belong. They be- that roach belongs somewhere else, but not in my presence. It belongs somewhere else. Maybe I should use Granddaddy Longleg. Get him out of here. He doesn't belong. He doesn't belong in this place. And so there's a... There's a um, There's a sense where we don't belong in the throne room of God. That acknowledgement, that's not saying God is mean. It's saying God is holy. And we lift God up and we recognize that He is much better than us and we don't deserve to be in His presence. That first step, just the fact that that the Israelites must offer a sacrifice just so they can be in God's presence and not die was them acknowledging their own place. See, that's sometimes something we get caught up in and we miss, is that we don't really acknowledge our own place that well. A lot of times we believe there is a throne in the center of the universe and we believe that it fits us quite well. And that people need to figure out and get, come into our presence. But this sacrifice was about I recognize who's on the throne. I recognize who's holy. And I am not it. I am not holy. It is an aroma pleasing to the Lord. It soothes God. They were just, with these sacrifices, they were just recognizing the gap between God and us. It was man recognizing that the distance between God and man was too far to scale without a sacrifice. But there's a couple things that happened before. And we'll back up through Leviticus 1. We'll back up uh, to verse 4. When you got to the entrance, you didn't just, just come on in. One of the things you did is you laid your hand on the head of the burnt offering. So that you bring in a, a bull, you're going to lay your hand on the head of the burnt offering, and it will be accepted on your behalf to make atonement for you. Okay, a couple word choices here that probably should have been different. Um, when it says lay your head, that, that Hebrew word is for press. It's for to 
you, you press down on. There's a symbol of you going... Um, it's a symbol of you, this animal is taking from you your guilt or your unholiness. So you press down on the head of the animal. And then it says, make atonement for you. Now, that original word actually means uh, pay a ransom for you. But when we think of ransom, what we think of is someone has kidnapped my dog and now I've got to pay a price or, or something. That is a callback to a joke in Bible class. And if you weren't in Bible class, you just missed it. It's just true. So, but a ransom back there is not like this evil thing. A ransom then, say, say you had a bull that was really mean or a dog that was really mean. And it, and, it kept, and it got out and it killed somebody. Like the bull really, really hurt somebody. Now you're going to have to pay the penalty for that. But the judge could say, if you'll just pay a ransom your penalty will be lessened. Um, so it's making a ransom. For, like you, A ransom for you is lessening the penalty. He is um, on the hat. This bull is taking the punishment for you. So you lay your hand on the head of the bull. And now the first thing, though, you do is you go and you select. You select the animal. If the offering is a burnt offering from the herd, you are to offer a male without defect. Now here is where the rubber meets the road. Right at the very beginning. You're going into the herd and you're picking the most valuable thing you own. If you own a male bull, a young male bull without defect, that is one of your most valuable possessions in that time. So for us, I mean, we can just, we can go get meat and not even question where it came from. We just, we've got meat. We can go buy meat. Different variants, different fat contents. We, we, can, we can get our pick. Meat is abundant. But for them, their cows fed their family. And those of you who own cattle know how difficult it, would, difficult it would be to go pick your best bull and give it to God. It'd be tough. Because when, when God calls us to sacrifice, when God calls us to sacrifice, He's calling us to sacrifice more than we think we can. More than what's going to be comfortable. He's calling us to sacrifice a lot. And our God has every right to do that. Because when He decided that the gap between God and man was too much to tolerate, He sent His own Son. He didn't just pick an angel. He didn't just pick a, uh, just some sort of, some, just some other man. His, God's only son was sacrificed for us. See, for all, all of history, up until the point of Jesus, all of Israelite history, they spent time offering, man offering sacrifices so that man could be close to God. 
And we live on the other side of history after God offered a sacrifice so God could be close to man. And he picked the best. He laid his hand on his head and said, you will be the one that will make atonement for the rest. And then his sacrifice made us holy. Didn't just, didn't just make us acceptable. It made us holy. It sanctified us. It made us worthy in the eyes of God. Because we're not. See, that's the, that's, that's, the, that's the trouble we get ourselves in is when we just assume that we're holy in the eyes of God and that God owes us squat. God does not owe us anything. We consistently turn our back on God and He consistently chases after us. When the sacrifices of bulls and goats and doves wasn't working anymore, it just wasn't acceptable. And this is what the writer in Hebrews will say. Is that Jesus was the ultimate sacrifice once and for all. We did not have to do it anymore because he was so perfect. He was so without blemish. And he was, all, he was a sacrifice not of man. Man did not bring the sacrifice to the temple. God brought the sacrifice to the temple. And it made it so that we were all clean. See, the good news, the good news, when we talk about gospel, when we talk about what God is doing in the world, the good news is that, that God redeemed us, not that we redeemed ourselves. The good news is that God fought the fight and won the battle for us, not that we somehow attained it on our own. We have been made holy by the one who is holy. And so it's our call to live that out. And Paul, after he makes this long argument in Romans 12, this long argument about what God has done through Jesus, this awesome sacrifice. We are starting a class in the auditorium on Romans. If you've ever been interested in Romans, it'll be beneficial to you. We'll get to Romans 12 eventually. Romans 12, 1 says, therefore, I urge you, all this long argument, that therefore is pointing at Romans 1 through 11. God has made his people holy. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, in view of what God has done, his sacrifice for us is a merciful sacrifice. We did not deserve it. He has shown us mercy. But since we see what God has done, it is our job to offer our bodies as living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is our true and proper worship. See, we have taken, we, we thought that worship went from sacrificing an animal, if you want to compare their ant worship, to our worship, which is sitting in pews and facing forward and singing songs. But Paul says the way they used to worship was trumped by what Jesus did, now the way you worship is a daily life in which you offer sacrifices of your own self. It just won't work to go to church and sit in the pews and then be a selfish jerk the rest of the time. 
It just won't do to, be, to, to sing the songs and maybe even sing them on key. Who knows? And then walk out the door and gripe at your waitress for not getting your food to you on time. The world does not revolve around you. What we do when we sit in these pews and sing songs to this God is we recognize that He is holier than us and that He has shown mercy on us through His Son. And we must then live a life in view of God's mercy. We must therefore live a life that is a sacrificial life. I am not supposed to get my way all the time. I am not called to be in control all the time. I am not called by God to win every argument whether I'm right or wrong. I am not called by God to have everything go smoothly for me. I am called by God to since His Son offered Himself as a sacrifice for me and God was merciful to me, I am called to be a sacrifice to the world. I'm called to give up of myself. To be less. C.S. Lewis says, those who are humble are not people who talk less or think, think less of themselves. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. Humility is thinking of yourself less. When we're not, not that concerned about how getting our way or People getting in my way. Have you ever walked into a store and thought, there are too many people here? Well, you just added one. You should leave if it's making you angry. But we, we think that because, well, I have a right to be here. And what are all these people doing here? It's because the world revolves around us. We've got our own gravitational energy sometimes. We've got this stuff that we put in orbit, and we say, well, that, should, that, that needs to keep revolving around me, and that needs to keep revolving around me. And this is why churches sometimes can even split. Churches split because they want the church to revolve around themselves. It's not going to happen. It shouldn't. We are called to live a sacrificial life. We are called since God brought his sacrifice into the tent of meeting. And God made us holy once and for all. We are then called to just live like we don't think we're that important. We don't, we don't put ourselves on the throne. And for some, for some of you, for some of us, the first step in being humble, the first step in being sacrificial is to get ourselves off the throne. Stop thinking we're in control. We're in charge. For some of us, the second step is going to be, well, I, I need to start doing things for others that I don't want to do. How can, listen, we're, if, if you want to respond to the gospel of Jesus, that Jesus is king and that he has, he has beat death, if you want to respond to that gospel, then today, the call is to come forward. But if you've already responded to that gospel, the call, as Paul would say, the call is to go out. 
Because worship is no longer about sitting in pews and facing forward and singing the right songs. Although I think, this is my opinion, um, this is where we get the energy for that. For me, this restores me and renews me and I get to go out and I can live self-sacrificial. It's a time where I go to, the, to, to a place where I meet with my brothers and sisters and remember that God is holy and I am not. And therefore, I can live a life that is sacrificial because I've been reminded of that this Sunday. And I'll be reminded of that again next Sunday. And it'll be this thing that completely renews me or consistently renews me. If you have responded to the gospel, if you call yourself a Christian, today's the day you start being sacrificial. Today's the day you start giving up of self. Because the king we follow, the king we worship, the savior we claim did exactly that. He gave up of himself and gave himself up on a cross so that we can find forgiveness so that we can find mercy, so that we can find acceptance with God. Now we are God's children. We're no longer just His people. We're His children. For us to accept God's grace and mercy, to accept God's sacrifice, and then to turn and not live a life full of grace and mercy, a life full of sacrifice, I think would be just a disaster. It just wouldn't work. So if you need prayers to go out and maybe change, to repent, if you want to accept the gospel of Jesus, whatever you need this morning, whatever you need to give up this morning, we are here for you. We want to pray for you. We want to walk you through whatever it is you need to be walked through. But please come forward. While we stand and while we sing. Like a-